This information is subject to a disclaimer at the end of this podcast. Please ensure that you listen to the disclaimer and go to www.ubs.com for further information about UBS. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning into UBS Global Research Pod Hub, a channel that shares insights from economists, strategists, and equity analysts on the pivotal questions and events shaping today's markets. My name is Peter Gastrike, and I head up UBS Asia oil, gas, and chemical research team. And in this episode, we're going to be taking a look at low-carbon hydrogen. I am joined by Julie Hudson, who heads up UBS Global ESG Research. Hi, Julie. Thanks for joining. How are you today? Uh, thanks, Peter. I'm fine. I hope you are, too. Thanks. Um, as a bit of background for our listeners, uh, we recently published our Q-series report on green hydrogen. The report was led out of APAC, but included collaboration with UBS analysts globally. Our green hydrogen Q-series built on the foundation of work done by UBS analyst Shnur Gushuni on blue hydrogen. As a refresher, a unique characteristic of hydrogen is that when it is combusted, the byproducts are only water and heat. So this is a zero carbon fuel. However, the issue is that hydrogen source for industrial use today comes mostly from either natural gas or coal and therefore is carbon emitting. This is the so-called gray hydrogen. The good news is that we have technology that can source hydrogen with very low or zero emissions. And this is where so-called blue hydrogen and green hydrogen step in. Gray hydrogen can effectively be classified as blue hydrogen if the CO2 is emitted in the production process is captured and stored. Green hydrogen is an entirely different process where hydrogen is sourced from electrolyzers that effectively separate hydrogen from water molecules with electricity. The electricity in turn needs to come from renewable source like wind, solar, or hydropower generation. So if we can decarbonize the production of hydrogen, and if the combustion of hydrogen emits only water, we can completely decarbonize multiple industrial chains, including, for example, heavy trucks and buses, steel, and power generation. So Julie, let's turn our attention to you. Uh, there's probably hardly a sector or theme that has not come under your radar as a head of global ESG research team at UBS. Uh, I'm curious, though, from your perspective, how much interest have you seen from investors in hydrogen uh, when compared to major themes that you might be focused on? Overall, the dominant theme is climate change, and that's been the case for some time, with an acceleration really since COP21, uh, six years ago now with COP26 around the corner. I'd say the 2018 IPCC one and a half degree special report really focused minds on the search for solutions. And of course, an important part of that is the urgency of retooling energy systems away from fossil fuels. The hydrogen story waxes and wanes, but we've noticed a fairly persistent momentum behind it really since the summer of 2020. And looking from a broad top-down perspective, um, how important of a role do you think hydrogen will play in global energy transition? Um, you know, how much investment will it require, for example? So how important its role is will really depend on how hydrogen happens. So as you've already mentioned, conventional hydrogen production is carbon intensive. So in itself, it's not an answer to the climate challenge. It can only be relevant as part of the bigger picture. In the ESG team, we think the ideal is so-called green hydrogen. That's hydrogen manufactured on the basis of a green energy source. In some countries, though, blue hydrogen, that's hydrogen made with carbon capture and storage, is seen as the preferred route. Whichever route is taken, and I think it's likely to be different from one region to the next, it's clear that a lot of investment will be needed. 
a recent UBSQ series estimated overall spend of being between 120 and 160 trillion dollars for the transition overall allocated across clean energy generation, infrastructure, carbon dioxide removal and R&D. So Peter, can we turn the focus on APAC here? I'd be interested to better understand the current status of hydrogen development and where hydrogen sits within a national decarbonisation strategy. Will hydrogen be a one-size-fits-all for, for different countries, or will there be local differences? Thanks, Julie. It's become clear that hydrogen is sitting within the national decarbonisation strategies in APAC, and with China, Japan, Korea, and Australia the most high-profile in their ambitions. For example, the China Hydrogen Alliance has said that hydrogen could fuel an equivalent of up to 20% of China's primary energy consumption by 2060, and we can see Japanese and Korean companies looking to invest into global hydrogen supply chains rooted, for example, in Australia, Canada, and the Middle East. Once we started to dig our heels in, one of the key aspects that surprised us most about hydrogen is indeed how differently the development models could evolve from one country to the next. The way in which hydrogen develops will be very different from fossil fuels like oil and coal, for example. For these fossil fuels, the way in which they are produced, processed, and consumed tends to be fairly consistent from one country to the next. For example, whether a country can have potential as a green hydrogen producer will to a large extent depend on natural conditions like geography and weather. These factors will be crucial in determining whether a country can have enough spare renewable power generation capacity to drive large-scale electrolyzer equipment to produce green hydrogen. Meanwhile, for blue hydrogen, geology is very important as countries will need to possess so-called carbon sinks, like depleted oil and gas fields, if to store CO2. So thanks, Peter. That's really interesting. Um, how would you expect the hydrogen economies to develop across APAC? What do you think the major challenges will be? And how would you expect those challenges to be overcome? Um, well, there are indeed a lot of challenges. The first one being that none of this will generate profit probably before around 2030. Uh, that was a challenge to renewable energy. We all remember years ago, but the cost curve finally came down and renewable energy makes sense in many geographies now. Um, EV battery is also tracking a falling cost curve toward parity. Green hydrogen will as well. That said, until we see the delivered cost and not just the production cost come down to a level that achieves parity with alternatives, the development of hydrogen will require the interplay of government incentives and regulation and the confluence of both public and private capital. Also, the need for a functioning carbon trading market will be needed for years after sectors like heavy transport and ammonia have reached economic parity in their own right. For example, adoption of green hydrogen as a means toward decarbonizing iron reduction in the steelmaking process will not work without a carbon price incentive. Again, we have a lot of detailed analysis in a report that covers this. In terms of addressable market in APAC, uh, we've developed four scenarios that envision APAC hydrogen market reaching anywhere from 100 million to 400 million tons in the long term. We don't have a forecast as such, but our highest probability scenario would be our carbon abatement scenario. This would see APAC demand reaching around 300 million tons and with the largest offtake going into heavy transport, steel, chemical, and power generation sectors. Um, overall, we think that China hydrogen will scale up in advance of the APAC region and that China will eventually account for about half of the total APAC consumption in the long term. Thanks, Peter. So you mentioned China will probably lead the region when it comes to building up its hydrogen economy. Can you talk a bit more about why you think China will lead? 
That's a good question, Julie. Um, something else that surprised us in terms of the findings in this Q series uh, is that China will be in a position to be self-sufficient in hydrogen production. Uh, this is different from, for example, the situation in Japan and Korea. Uh, both of those countries will be dependent on imports. Um, if you depend on imports, then you open up another can of worms in the form of seaborne trade of hydrogen. China won't need to rely on importing hydrogen, and this is the first important point. The second point is that China's traditional uses of hydrogen, including ammonia, methanol, and even refining, for example, will all be sources of demand growth in the next five to 10 years. This is not something that the other countries in Asia share in common with, with China. The third and probably most important point uh, is that China has the state-owned enterprises. The energy SOEs have large balance sheets and they have large cash flow, and they'll be willing to invest in the cost curve at a higher point when compared to other countries and other entities within the region. Um, and this is a very critical point, and the reason why they're willing to do this ultimately is because they carry a social responsibility to support the central government objectives in reaching their net zero carbon emissions by 2060. Thanks very much, Peter. And thank you, Julie. That concludes our discussion today. Thank you for visiting the UBS Research Pod Hub. This was an overview of green hydrogen with me, Peter Gastreich, UBS Head of Asia Oil, Gas and Chemical Research, and Julie Hudson, UBS Global Head of ESG Research. Tune in again for more investment insights. This content has been prepared by UBS AG, its subsidiaries and or affiliates, and is purely informational in nature. It is not investment research and does not contain an investment recommendation nor investment or professional advice. It is not an offer or solicitation to engage in any investment activity, and you should seek your own financial, tax, and legal advice before engaging in any such activity. UBS has no responsibility to you in relation to this content. It has no regard to your personal circumstances or investment objectives, and receiving it does not imply any form of client relationship with UBS for any legal, regulatory, or tax purpose. This content is not intended for distribution into any jurisdiction where to do so would be contrary to law or regulation. UBS does not accept any liability over the content of such material or reliance upon any information contained herein. The views and opinions expressed by any guest speaker or third party are not those of UBS. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over any such views and opinions expressed by such persons. This content is the valuable intellectual property of UBS, and UBS specifically prohibits the redistribution of it in whole or in part without its prior written permission. Copyright UBS 2021. The key symbol and UBS are among the registered and unregistered trademarks of UBS. All rights reserved.